0: Hi, I'm John Dashbach at the director of Comeback Anytime and you're listening to ContraZoom.
1: ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. Back on episode 151, Hot Docs 2021, Rachel and I discussed a documentary called "Come Back Anytime." We both fell in love with the gentle ramen documentary that we wrote separate reviews of the film. We had hoped to get an interview with the director John Doshbach last year, but the timing wasn't right. Luckily, he's back doing press again. And while Rachel had the opportunity to interview him for POV Magazine, which I'll link to in the show notes, I got the chance to chat with him for the podcast. Also, a bit of housekeeping I want to announce that ContraZoom has started a coffee account where if you like what we are doing, you can leave us a tip to help us cover costs of producing the podcast and keep us going. You can find a link in the show notes or on the homepage at ContraZoomPod.com. Let's now get to my chat with John Doshbach. <laughs> I would now like to welcome to the show, John Dashback, the American director who is based out of Japan, who made the excellent ramen documentary, Come Back Anytime. His film premiered at last year's Hot Dogs Festival, where Rachel and I were lucky enough to see it. And this film follows Masumoto and his wife for a year as they run the ramen shop. Masimoto isn't about to earn a Michelin star and he isn't being foreclosed on. The film is just a laid back journey about what it means to be really, really good at the job you love. Welcome, John. How are you?
0: I'm. Um. I'm well, thanks. <clears throat> thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, it's great to finally speak with you. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> now, uh, like I said, I, I caught this last year at Hot Dogs when it premiered, instantly just fell in love with this movie. And I feel like the other people that I've talked to have seen it also sort of feel the same way. It's just such a warm, and inviting movie. And it's almost like the tone matches the subject matter. And so I, I'm glad I can finally ask you some questions about this film.
0: I'm glad to hear that because that was... Um, that was definitely the, the overall goal of, of my, my goal of making the film was to try to capture and recreate the essence of that place that I, that, the feeling of that place that I had when I was there. Um, cause you know, it's a film, uh, you, you we can't uh, provide the taste of the ramen, but, but I, I thought maybe if I could provide everything, everything else that surrounds it, that, uh, that you'd get a sense of, of what a warm and welcoming and, and just, just fun and, and, um, comfortable place it is
1: i will say your film is almost a little bit cruel because you cannot actually taste the ramen <laughs> the two times i've watched this movie i'm pretty sure both times that evening i ordered ramen for dinner
0: <laughs> that's good to hear good to hear we're trying to channel that into some partnerships with ramen restaurants all over the world you know and having special screenings and and that kind of thing and there we've had some of those uh and, and people are, are Happy to be able to 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 do that to have some ramen right afterwards, but I definitely recommend that for anybody who's going to watch it be you know i I'm told that uh you should be prepared so that was <laughs> and I'm glad to hear that because that 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 means we we succeeded in some way
1: mm-hmm. uh so my first question is how did you actually end up discovering Byzantine the ramen shop that's featured in this movie
0: i yeah so we went i first went to Byzan like um almost ten years ago now uh it was uh, through a friend who worked in the neighborhood, uh, a Japanese friend, uh, my friend of my producer who, um, actually just called us and said, Hey, we're going to go, uh, mountain yam foraging up in Niigata in the mountains this weekend with our, my local ramen master, uh, you know, or my, my, you know, lunchtime ramen master. Uh, are you guys interested? And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know what that is, but that sounds (laughs) amazing. And, uh, and so, uh, so, my for my introduction was actually in the context of that that uh, ex, uh, you know expedition up up north, and he said, "Well, just come by you know the, a couple nights before uh, we go, and and just to meet the master." And and so that was the first time I went, and and I fell in love with the ramen instantly. But um, but it was sort of a unique way to meet the place, and as as the film tries to convey, uh, or or as it was important to me to include these weekend excursions because they're such a part of the community that he's built there, that he's, he's the kind of guy who, um, despite working on his feet five days a week, uh, it's a business district. So he's closed on the weekends Mm because there's just not, you know, that he's really catering more to, to the lunchtime and then, and then after work crowd in, in, uh, the, the area of Tokyo. And so, um, so he, but he can't sit still on the weekends. And, and, and <laughs> I wanted to make sure I captured that. And he's always just off doing something fun, often food related, uh, but not always. Uh, but we tried to sort of channel it and focus it into food related stuff. So
1: that makes sense. So that was,
0: that was how I met him. And then over the next uh, several years, I was invited to other things, fishing, flounder fishing, uh, and off the coast of Chiba. And, and, uh, he has this, um, uh, kind of country garden plot that, that's in the film that he, uh, grows his own. He has like this little mini organic garden that, that, uh, that is just a passion project for him. And, uh, and we, uh, he has, he built his own pizza oven there. And so he, he has these pizza parties that he invites everybody from the restaurant out to an hour and a half out to the country for pizza parties. And it's kind of bring your own and somebody po- provides all the dough and, and everybody else brings toppings and, and it's just a wonderful time, uh, for those. So we did those. And yeah, it's just, uh, after a couple of years of this, um, I just thought, I want to try to capture this place because it's, it's so unique. And, and, and I realized that he's kind of the anchor of the whole community and, and mm-hmm. he's built it and, and, it's, and it's formed around him. Um, so I just thought, what if what if I could try to sort of capture this in a film?
1: Wow, that's absolutely incredible. Uh, do you have a go to meal when you're eating at the shop?
0: I do. Mine is the, uh, classic, the Chashu ramen. So it's, mm. it's his, uh, Tokyo style soy based ramen, um, that is his, his sort of signature with extra Chashu. Cause I, mm. I like the Chashu so much. It's, it's a really unique Chashu, which, which the film goes into a little bit, gets a little bit, uh, you know, sort of food wonky about, about what makes it, um, uh, unique in terms of, uh, it's it's different than typical typical chashu because he didn't he's as he explains he didn't really like the the, the typical chashu and he was like well I, if I'm gonna serve ramen I guess I have to figure out one that I like <laughs> so he he kind of created his own variation that's that's really interesting but it's it's people come over the holidays particularly to get uh, just a, a you know the takeout uh, packet of it because he, cl- he closes for for about 10 days, you know, like a lot of restaurants do over the holidays mm-hmm. or uh, New Year holidays. And so, um, yeah, so t- it's a popular takeout item as well.
1: <laughs> now, is it the sort of thing where, as we see in the movie with certain customers, where w- the first thing in the order, that's what they get every time because he just serves it to them and you weren't able to try anything else?
0: No, no, I mean it's funny because there is that anecdote. There was this one customer who who says that he's just like, "Well, that's what he ordered today, <laughs> and that's what i've had ever since um but uh no i well, especially since I made the film, I think you know I think at some point, and a lot of people do this they 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 do want to try everything, but they they eventually kind of settle on um you know their favorite, but he he doesn't have that many I mean he's got a salt based one uh a miso based one with that's a little bit spicy and kind of a unique miso again, he wanted to have his own spin on it. Uh, and the salt-based one features uh, um, onions, uh, you know, um, spring onions. Uh, so it's actually called like onion ramen, not not salt ramen. But um, that's a you know that's about it. I mean, there are lots of toppings. So there's there's a couple couple varieties, but I've I've definitely tried them all. But I always I always kind of revert back to the to the uh, the, the essential uh, soy-based. I get, the you know the soup is really interesting because it it uh, incorporates the the chashu pork that 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 is cooked initially in the in the soup and that creates helps create the soup along with bones and and other things and then and then he transfers that to this to the soy uh braise for a couple hours and then he lets the the chashu cool and then the braise becomes the tare for the which combines Mm -hmm. with the soup and so the sort of pork is like in in all of it um Mm -hmm. in this really interesting way it's just it's just um really unique. So it's it's hard not to have that one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every time.
1: That sounds incredible. Now, Masimoto goes by a few names in the movie, you know, his real name, but he also is known yeah. by Master or, or Taisho. And Taisho, if I understand correctly, is a nickname that means big or important, but is typically reserved for an older generation than even Masimoto is from. What do you call him and what does what you call him refer to your relationship to him?
0: That's a good question. I mean, it's funny because my Producers of Japanese is like, this is, you know, cause I, I included this discussion of like, some people call them Taisho, some people call him Master, and, and and why is that? And, and, um, cause I remembered early on or, or somewhere in my own process, that was one of the conversations we had in the place. And so I thought, well, this is the kind of conversation you have here. Like, well, what does that mean? And, and, and what's funny is I got, I got a lot of different answers. So, <laughs> so there isn't, there isn't really one answer. Um, but, but I think, um, you know, um, master is is what well, as one one person explains like like reserved for a certain kind of relationship and taisho for another so it depends on the age difference and and and, and just what naturally you know feels natural to the person but also then it indicates like how long have they known them so how young were they when they started because you're not going to change it as the age mm-hmm, difference mm-hmm. changes it's not going to like okay now i have to call him. it's just <laughs> so it's it's a, it's it's a very interesting thing i call him master uh um <clears throat> or when i'm talking about him not not addressing him i, I i'll call him Uy-de-son, which is you know, his last name but but um but, but typically yeah, if i'm just uh you know, sort of say, hey, master, you know, that's that's what I'll use. And I, I think that's probably what most people use. But it's, uh, some people like Taisho, which is also, I think, translates sort of to to, uh, to general or leader. So he's, okay. he's kind of, he's always the leader on these excursions, you know, mm-hmm. so, so it's fitting for that too. Um, some, you know, people who are far more advanced in Japanese than I am will probably listen to this and say, no, that's all wrong. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's open to uh, a lot of interpretation.
1: All right. Well, that sounds good to me. Uh, the ramen the film is described by a customer as subtle and gentle, and I have to ask if that was one of the keys for you in deciding how to shoot and edit the film. It is a warm and fuzzy documentary that makes you feel good while nourishing you, much like a bowl of delicious ramen does.
0: Oh, I'm glad you hear you say that because um, that that was the goal, but I, I didn't know whether that was possible, you know. Um, but it, it was it was definitely something I was conscious of. Um, I think it was probably more subconscious at, at first, um, because it, it you know it emerged as like oh actually you know what this this film could sort of be a metaphor you know the, for the for the soup itself um, in terms of nourishing and, and that and, and that emerged uh, I think it sort of grew up into my consciousness as I was editing it but but my goal when editing it was sort of my litmus test was does this you know because we we shot. <laughs> way more than than we need as many documentaries do but in my case i was i have made fiction before but i'd never made a documentary and and i just i also this story i didn't there there, i didn't know what the story was or you know it was just a a place i wanted to capture a place so i didn't really have a script or, or anything you know which some documentaries depending on the subject it makes sense to have uh you know kind of a working um script but i just said let's just Let's just make it a process of discovery. So, so um, we just shot as much as we could, and we asked him for a year's worth of, of, of access and patience with us. And he said, "Sure." And and um, and, and so I think um, what emerged was, okay, well, well, what I could try to do is just, just capture the essence and the feeling of this place through the course of a year and 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 uh, since we had filmed for a year I thought okay that's a good way to structure it um and if if people come away feeling like they've been there then you know or they want to go there um or or they know a place like that and and it reminds them in a warm you know way of of their own version of that um then then you know that's that's the best we can we can hope for
1: interesting so what was your, your sort of shooting schedule like? Cause I imagine like if you're filming him make the broth, you know, you watch him do that a few times. It's not like he's really changing his process up. So how are you deciding what and when to shoot?
0: Um, we, we asked early on, we just thought, you know, I knew that I wanted to get the people in the place, but, but I didn't know if I, I wanted to wait until they were, more familiar with us than and he was to get into some of the interviews and stuff like that. So we decided to sort of push all that, uh, you know, and start just with the food because it's more technical and mm-hmm. you don't have to know him to be able to get really in close with the food. So we did spend our first. So we started really by, by spending a good two solid days in the restaurant with him from from before he got there, well, we kept trying to get there before he would, but he would always like arrive earlier because he didn't <laughs> want to be late. So we we had to start like saying lying about when we were coming, and then we would come early because I wanted to get him the the opening of of the whole place and everything, you know. And and the first time we arrived, he was already there working. We we're like, wait, we haven't. <laughs> so yeah, but so we spent kind of two whole days. Uh, which was a, a lesson in, in how hard he worked to this right off the bat is is two long days with his whole prepper team. He would get there at like eight in the morning and, and, and starts cooking. And, and so, um, so we did a lot of that. And then, and then over the course of the next few months, we uh, would go on these weekend excursions and then it started naturally making sense to film on the Monday after a weekend excursion, even though we were pretty exhausted, we were we knew we had to make the effort to go in on Monday because that's when he would serve a lot of the fruits of, of the you know of his uh, efforts of the of the weekends, whether it was foraging or, or hunting or fishing, and so um, so that kind of became a pattern as well. And then we we had a couple uh, several times where we just said, okay, let's let's just hang out at night and really you know, get to know the regulars and, and capture them. And, and then, then sort of process wise, it was just a matter of, okay, I'm just going to shoot people tonight. Um, or I'm just going to shoot, uh, him making food. Um, because that took me a while to realize, like I, I was, I was, you know, the first few times I was a little distracted and I kept trying to, Oh, he's pouring some ramen. will go shoot that. Oh, somebody's <laughs> talking. I'll go shoot that. And I was like, just keep coming back and just keep doing it. I mean, what's, what's great about the nature of it is that, you know, it was, it was all, there's no space for more than one camera. I mean, that's why, partly why I shot it myself. I mean, I, I just thought it'd be fun creatively as a challenge, but also, um, there just, there wasn't room for, for any, anybody more than me yeah. and my producer who was there kind of in the background helping as a waiter half the time. And, <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and just, you know, just with a boom mic like on the, on the camera. And that's how we shot most of it. But, but the nature of the, the, the the subject matter is is such it's repetitive so it actually was really convenient from a craft not to get too far into the you know technical side but but uh, shooting with a single camera it was great to have this repetitive action he's making the same exact kind of bowl in the same way every time and so so you know sort of coverage wise I could shoot that many different nights from many different angles. Uh, and ultimately it would i could use it as if it was a multi-camera shot of 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 the same process so so there's a lot of that a lot of just repetitive action Mm -hmm. and i I just sort of at some point started making a list and making sure i had gotten everything that i that i thought i might need but i mean the good thing about the relationship we have with him and and him still being open at least pre-covid was i was able to sort of go back in and go okay i need need a few of these i need a few of these inserts and i I hadn't got I realized oh my gosh I never shot the Gilza thing opening or you know mm. um, so so it was uh, um, the nature of the of the, of the subject matter was was amenable to that so that makes sense
1: well I appreciate the technical insight because I do find that very fascinating <laughs> um, I would describe this film as being low stakes, unassuming and quaint. And, and I don't mean any of that as an insult. In fact, it's refreshing yeah. and unique that such a film exists. What are some of your inspirations as a director that may have influenced your work that has such a comforting feel to it?
0: Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, 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 I really, uh, some of the, the, the documentaries I like are actually from fiction filmmakers. So, I mean, I, I um I, I'm not an expert in, in, uh, as I said, it's my first documentary. So uh, I think maybe intuitively I took some inspiration from like Kiarostami, who's one of my favorites, um, and some of the documentary stuff he's done or, or Kieslowski started in documentaries. So I've wa- I've seen several of his, but it's, it's always difficult for me to talk about influences because I'm not, I'm not really conscious of them, I think. Um, but I, I think I just, again, I, I, I thought, Okay, if I'm going to make a documentary, let me just try to to observe. Um, so I did think about like, okay, is what kind of document is this? An observational documentary, but but um, but at a certain point, I did want the voices of of the the regulars as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I thought, okay. You know, we should have some sort of, you know, authorities, and they're the authorities, or, or, or maybe there's a sort of Greek chorus, you know. Um, but, but I wanted to talk to as many of them as possible. And we asked them all the same questions so that we could kind of get a series of, of multiple answers to the same questions uh, about the place, and, um, and, and that helped. So it, it sort of emerged uh, formally, I think, in that way, just just organically
1: speaking of the guests, one of them, you know, travels around Japan for working and he's tasted so many restaurants ramen that he was able to write his own guide for it and yet felt so strongly about this shop that he featured it prominently with a picture of himself and master. After your yeah. documentary has come out, has that changed the the patronage at all for the shop? Because I know if I ever find myself in Japan, I'll be going there for sure.
0: I mean, it's funny because, first of all, it hasn't shown in Japan yet, which oh, is kind really? of oh ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> we keep trying to find a distributor who wants it, so that says something, I think, about the nature of it. I mean, it's also because we we consciously decided that it was probably the kind of film that that um, that might do better abroad just because it's my perspective somewhat as like, here's, here's my experience as a a Mm -hmm. foreigner and and look what I found kind of, let me show you what I found here in Japan. That's a little bit different than what you might've seen. That was also a conscious goal. Um, you know, that, that here's a chef who's not completely, as you said, he's not chasing Michelin stars and, 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 uh, he's, he's, he, he kind of busts some, some cliches, I think. Um. So yeah, so so it hasn't shown in Japan. So it hasn't really well. Just pr- we had a, a screening for the master and his you know, regulars and friends, um, a private one. But but uh, yeah, so that's still to come, and and it might. I mean, I suppose it might actually. It, um, you know, we're hoping it would, but but I think um, maybe a Japanese audience. and Maybe this is why you know we haven't been able to yet attract a Japanese distributor is that it doesn't seem as unique to them because they, there, there, there are, but that's sort of the point too. It's like, there are a lot of places like this, here's this one and here's how this one is unique. Um, But I mean, and then there's the other factor of COVID. So, so, you know, only I think last week, they announced that they're finally relaxing some of the, the entry restrictions for Japan. So, so we don't, you know, really know yet sort of what influence it's had other than that he's had a few people. So it showed in Australia and, and so people who are connected and coming professionally or not, not just on tourist visas, there's barely any tourism still uh, where, you know, that's going to change that we hope this fall and, and winter, but, but so it, it showed uh, theatrically in Taiwan and there was a Taiwanese student who came because his parents saw it and they told him he had to go. And, <laughs> and there was like somebody from Norway who, who you know, again, it's on like uh, video on demand in Norway. And so some, Norwegian, uh, who was based in Tokyo. Okay. So it's, it's been sort of limited to that, but it is bringing in, uh, you know, some, some, uh, some people who I think somebody saw it on, on an airplane and, 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 you know, decided to come and, and, and visit and the, and the, the Taiwanese, uh, Student actually came back with a with a care package from his mother um, that she had sent, and she said, "and and here this is for the master." So, <laughs> so we kind of love that this. Okay, now there's like food is traveling, you know, across borders, uh, and, and we've made these connections, you know, between between Taiwan and, and people in Taiwan and the master. And mm. he he, lo- he loves that, and he loves, um, you know, uh, just to having people come in and, and finding out that they're they're there because they saw it,
1: you know, well, Good. I'm glad he's appreciating his newfound fame then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, he's, 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 um, he's so happy for us too. Cause, cause uh, you know, as filmmakers, he just wants to support it mm-hmm. to in any way he can. And it's just all kind of icing on the cake of a long, very successful career that he's, that he's enjoyed. And this is just kind of this, this unexpected little coda, I think for him, I mean, he's, he's not talking about retiring yet, but, but, I mean, he's he's now he's seventy, so it's it's inevitable that, that uh, and that's addressed in the film as, as well as sort of deciding when to when to call it quits. But mm-hmm. so we hope we hope, and as do the regulars, we hope he'll he'll keep at it for a while, it's particularly so he can enjoy, I think, meeting more people from from around the world who have seen it once they finally can can come. So I'm glad to hear that you want to come. Well, please let us know. We'll we'll take you there.
1: Personally. Absolutely. Uh, you made a good transition for me there because towards the end of the movie, you start asking the customers and Master how they feel about when the shop will eventually close. Was this in response to something that was said off camera, prompting you to see if Master has plans of retiring anytime soon, or is it just a natural question to ask?
0: I think for me, it was just, I knew this was a subject, I was really interested to hear how the extras, I mean, the, the, the uh, regulars um, felt about that because it was such an important part of their lives. And, and it is, you know, kind of a, it's, it's in the air as a question because he's, he's like I said, he's 70. I mean, it was not quite at the time we filmed, but, but inevitable question. So yeah, it was more that. It wasn't like, oh, there's a rumor he's going to close. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more, how long are you going to keep doing this? Because, because he's, he's at the, uh, you know, toward the end of this 40-year career. So, yeah, so to me, it just seemed like a, a, uh, an important question that's in the air and, and in the back of everybody's mind, I think. So I, w- I wanted to know what the, what the regulars thought about that.
1: Interesting. Okay. Uh, food, for me especially, is always an exciting documentary subject matter as the best ones really make viewers melt water. We can go back to sort of the technical aspects of making a film. What were sort of your secrets of getting great shots of food, specifically how beautiful the ramen is photographed in the movie?
0: Uh, well, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear you liked that. That was a real point of uncertainty for me because I'd never done it before. But, um, the one approach I took, so I, a couple things is I used, I did use slow motion a lot because, um, you know, uh, not because I wanted to create these like sort of food porn uh, sequences, but just because it, it gives you a little more control. I knew it would give me more control later on. Um, because you can always speed it up again, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and so it just gives you the chance in the, And this. And I knew that the steam would look really great and, in, in uh, in slow motion and that kind of thing. So, um, I, I, the other thing I decided getting back to what I was saying about the sort of repetitive nature of, of, of the, the, particularly with, with this dish is that he's just making the same thing over and over again in the same way. So, so, um, I just, like I said, I may I I chose some times where I would just just focus on this you know let's just get in pouring bowls, let's just get in lifting noodles and and um, and then I just uh, I also thought it was important to to shoot it again not to get too technical but with a with a kind of shallow depth of field that that feels cima- cinematic uh, you know, intuitively I think to a lot of viewers um, and and you know I had I, I also was conscious of trying to get as many different angles as i could although that was a little challenging because the, the space is so small um, but I, I did manage to do that without breaking anything which the producer was really worried about because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm i'm not a small person and so so it was uh, a, a challenge but he he never he also it was a testament to his patience too i was constantly in his way because i was sharing the space that he doesn't usually share with anybody and i was right you know in there and he would just kind of Signal to me like non-verbally, like okay, I need to go this way. So and I would just kind of get out of the way. Um, but uh, but I, I I guess I knew that I just needed a lot a lot a lot of coverage and inserts uh, as an editor because I I I hadn't really shot anything myself, but I've edited a lot of, uh, of films and mm. and um, and I just knew that 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 coverage uh, you know uh, uh, close-ups and inserts are essential, and you can kind of do anything you want. So so the food is all a year's worth of, of that kind of stuff shot at, at many, many different times, but because it's all the same uh, action, you can really combine it into one moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, the the film features a score by Michael Shaib. I hope I said his name correctly. Who performs, Shaib, yeah, Shaib, yeah. Who performs covers yeah. of classical and jazz standards, as well as his own compositions. The jaunting, upbeat nature works perfectly with the images on screen. How did your partnership work?
0: Uh, that was really fun. I mean, and, and, uh, we've worked together on, uh, he's done two of previous films for me, but, it, but that's a little different because they were, they were fiction. Uh, this one, the process really was I started by just, just, uh, kind of finding stuff that I thought would work. Um, and a lot of it was pre-existing classical music. Um, and, and then he's a, he's a classically trained pianist. So he, he, recorded all of the the classical the pieces that we used Brahms and Mendelssohn and Debussy that that I had various versions of but we sort of wanted it to have all a cohesive sound you know that was from him and his piano and his his style of playing and then and then there were several moments in the film where I just knew that we needed original score and so he composed all that as well and and the, really the last uh I don't know. Fifteen minutes of the film is just all his score, uh, just just original score. Um, but but it 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 uh, you know it's it's recorded. Uh, his producer um, Brent Lord also um, you know did a great job, I think, of just creating this cohesive sound that, that that ties everything together. And then there is some jazz that we licensed, and then there's some jazz by this uh, um, uh, performer named uh, Eugen Cicero, uh, who was big in the sort of sixties and seventies as as kind of jazzy classical, like he would he would do classical pieces in a jazz style, mm. and so um, so I started thinking about like okay, let's sort of think about jazz in the restaurant and classical outside the restaurant, and the, just to just to sort of create a even a, just a subconscious uh, anchoring points for the audience to sort of just intuitively kind of sense where they are in the in the overall structure of the film and and, and patterns of the film. So so there was a point where I want you know we Mike and I started talking about doing uh his own version of that so we took this we found this mozart piece we liked and he he created this sort of jazz inspired adaptation of of the mozart piece so it's a combination of of many things and then like i said there's a few just straight jazz recordings by other artists that we that we license as well um some people (laughs) a few people have complained that there's too much music but i i'm uh used to be uh, a musician and I mean I still am just for fun but uh but I think it is very important to me and it's just uh, you know somehow this movie there isn't actually music in in his restaurant but but there isn't a lot of restaurants and and so I sort of took the liberty there I think of of it just uh, and there's jazz in a lot of lot of places in, in Tokyo um and so that was kind of my my I took the liberty of of, of creating this background soundtrack for the place that I felt like Kind of evokes the feeling of my feeling of what it's like to be there, and and just it just feels like jazz to me. <laughs> so that's why that's why we did that. But but that was that was our process of of, uh, of working. And and our, you know Mike's original compositions, I I barely had any notes because I was just uh, just thrilled with with what he did. And I think by that point he knew the context that it was going to sit in with all the other pre-existing classical and, and jazz pieces that we had. So he knew how to kind of just tie it in perfectly and, and make it feel really natural. But it's but the last last uh you know, like I said, fifteen minutes where it really kind of reaches an emotional peak, uh, is, is heavily supported by his score, uh, I think, for sure.
1: Well, it's a fantastic score and it works perfectly with the movie. I'm so happy with it. Uh, John, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I know the film will be getting a, a VOD release next year in Canada, in Canada and there will be a broadcast of the movie on TVO for Ontario residents in November. Uh, but what comes next for you?
0: Um, you know, we're still um, self-distributing in the U.S., so so that's taking a lot of, of our time. Um, Somewhat, just as uh, um, control freaks, we just decided there wasn't anybody that we we were ready to <laughs> to hand it over to in the U.S. Um, or the deals just weren't right. So we so that's we've decided to, to just give that a try, and um, and that's probably because um, the next project I think that I want to do is also um, it's going to take some time to, to even start getting access. Um, uh, it involves um, I'll just say. Um, scuba diving and, and ancient mysteries uh, oh. <laughs> and it's in japan okay. um and it's a it's a subject i've been very fascinated with for a long time but it's going to take a quite a while to uh to to figure out how to do it and, and to and to get the right access and, and meet the right people so we're just starting that process in the meantime while we're still working with a co-producer in in the u.s to to do the do this sort of uh, self-distribution with with events like i said with ramen ramen places and stuff like that so
1: well, that's very exciting, yep. and and I hope uh, I can talk to you about that when that eventually comes out down the line. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah that'd
0: be fun. <laughs> thank you so much, John. Yeah, thank you.
1: I want to thank John for coming on today's show to talk about Comeback Anytime. I'll make sure to share on social media any updates I have for people to watch the film. You can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. If you've seen Comeback Anytime, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to contrazoompod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out.